Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the 16mm Film Crew. I'm Cindy. And I'm Dale. You can watch us on YouTube. You can like and comment on our YouTube videos and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can support us on Anchor. You can listen to us everywhere podcasts are found. Leave us a rate and review at 16mm Film Crew Podcast. And visit us on our website at www.16millimeterfilmcrew.com. So this week we watched Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. So here is your synopsis. After reuniting with Gwen Stacy, Brooklyn's full-time, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man is catapulted across the multiverse where he encounters a team of Spider-People charged with protecting his very existence. However, when the heroes clash on how to handle a new threat, Miles finds himself pitted against the other Spiders. He must soon redefine what it means to be a hero so he can save the people he loves most. This movie is starring Shamika Moore, Haley Steinfeld, Brian Tyree Henry, Luna Lauren Velez, Jake Johnson, Jason Schwartzman, Issa Rae, Karan Sony, Daniel Kaluuya, and Oscar Isaac. And it is directed by Joaquim Dos Santos, Kemp Powers, and Justin K. Thompson. So Dale, tell us your thoughts about this movie. Um, I love I love this like I guess I guess franchise slash trilogy um the experience of um watching i not not just an afro latino but uh a young hero who looks like me reminds myself of me you know even though experiences might be different as far as living in new york and familial cultural background but that um depiction of um Beyond the superhero stuff, a person coming into their own and figuring out who they are and combating people trying to curtail who they think they are. Um, because no matter your age, you face those struggles, no matter whether it, whether it be with your family or it be in your workplace, you're always going to face people trying to um, restrict and dampen your spirit in some way, shape, or form. Yeah thought this film was excellent it might be my favorite film i've seen this year yeah i think well that came out this year yeah i'll say that definitively um but yeah it was excellent and i really loved the first one but i feel like this one was they just elevated everything like everything was just like cranked up to 100 on this one and thoroughly enjoyable um like I just love it. I had like goosebumps throughout like most of it. It's just really good. Um, And with sequels, you never know if they're going to be able to top it and blah, blah. But like, this was an incredible movie. Um, And I know that it's only part one of two. And we'll get into a little bit more of that later on. But I think I could just take it as a standalone film. Like Mm -hmm. to me, there was like enough there to justify it being broken up into two parts and i just thought it was so good just like so well done the voice acting was incredible the music the animation like the fact that this franchise like i don't know broke through and just did something completely different with the animation in terms of like just taking it to a new level and making it its own style is incredible but the fact that like every spider who's in this universe has their own style and 
how they mix all of those elements together, I don't even know like how they're able to do any of that. It's so beyond me and cool. Yeah, I think I think this movie to me um connected more on a personal well not just that uh it 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 embodied more of that even if you ignore the race element of the character it embodied more of the difficulties of being a a young hero in kind of an adult world more so than i feel like um uh um with uh was it um no way home or far from home the last time on spider-man movie um mm-hmm. um and i feel like this one they actually kind of you see miles deal with so Spider-Man is supposed to help and save everybody, you know, no matter what. And I think his messaging and his delivery of everything was a lot more better than, you know, the way they kind of did it with Toby and Tom Holland's character. Like, oh, you can't give into revenge, blah, 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 blah. You know, that that kind of thing. Um, it showed, you know, Spider-Man or this version of Spider-Man always wanting to do the right thing no matter the cost, you know. Yeah. And it's interesting that, to like think about this being, I guess, in the same, I guess now it is very much like canon in the same universe as the other Spider-Men, the live action ones, because it just feels like this always felt like its own thing to me. Like it always felt like a very separate, I don't know, I guess, take on the character. Mm-hmm. So I never really thought about it in comparison to like the live action ones. Because I don't think you can really, because you're just able to do so much more in animation than you can in live action. But spoiler, a lot of those live action elements end up in this movie. So <laughs> it is like a part of it. All of it is like, we're all sharing the same universe, I guess. Um, and for me, like Toby Maguire's version of Spider-Man was just weird. And then Andrews was just like, you seem too good to, like, he seemed like a, a really great Spider-Man, but not a great Peter Parker. And for like Tom, I think everything was okay, but I just think because he was bound by the Marvel universe, it kind of limited what he was able to do with, you know, yeah. Spider-Man and his own character. So this to me, and I think Tom Holland said it, is the best version of Spider-Man. Like <laughs> this is like the best you're probably gonna get because you're able to do so much more. And also, I mean, I guess it is, it's bound by like the universe of the other spider people. But I also just feel like because it's not Peter Parker, it's Miles Morales. I think you can, I think they're just able to do a lot more in terms of character development. Like also because he is Afro-Latina, you're getting different, a different perspective on it. Like, so, and then Gwen Stacy is like Spider-Gwen. So like you have that to bounce off of. So I just feel like, they're just in in terms of animation in terms of like how it's visually presented but also in terms of like story i just think that they're able to do a lot more in the fighter verse movies than they are in the live action versions and i would agree i think this is the best version of not maybe not peter parker but a, Sp- a Spider-Man. spider-man story yeah 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 this this movie is amazing in its storytelling um especially the visual cues like with what enamored me the most with this movie were 
during when Gwen is Gwen's scene, because if you think about it, really, Gwen is kind of the one telling the story, especially if you really mm-hmm. think about how she starts the movie and how she ends it. She's in a, in, she's literally the one telling the story. Um, and I also didn't pick up until a second viewing where if you actually watch her part of the story in the beginning, she literally just tells you everything that's going to happen, like verbatim. Mm-hmm. So if you, it's, it's kind of like you have to really sit and actually pay attention. But... I love uh, the visual elements in Gwen's scene, all of Gwen's scene where she's interacting with her father or she's in her world, how it becomes all watercolors and it becomes reflective. Like the colors and the imaging of her world like fits in her emo- her emotional spectrum, what she's dealing with. And that is, and that is so real because sometimes when you're like, this movie does a really good job of depicting their characters' mental states visually. Mm-hmm. Um, not just with Gwen and, you know, the use of watercolors and how she's talking to her dad, you know, it comes, it like goes black and white and her dad comes out of focus at some points or the background, the details of the background wash away. And, and then when she opens her heart to her dad and hugs her dad, the world suddenly becomes bright instead of the dark blues and greens it has, it becomes all these yellows and purples and really bright and vibrant, you know, where her dad accepts her and thanks her for being a hero. His background becomes white and he becomes like like bright like all those and just enhance like story is not just dollar people's action it's everything it's it's how the world interacts with itself and then with miles near the end you know when he's having his panic attack on a way to try and save his father you know that scene they call back you know spider big you know saying you know it's hard to save everybody and as he's web singing you hear see doc ox tentacles everybody's talking to him you see trains crashing you hear like it depicts like his mental state, and I really love that element. Because honestly, for the most times we deal with heroes having panic attacks in these movies, they clutch their chest, or you know, Iron Man, you know, he grabs his arm, or it's, you don't really get what's, you don't really see what's going on in here. And I loved, I love those so scenes a lot. Yeah, I love Gwen Stacy is like basically a co-lead in this. Like it's also her movie in addition to Miles because I think they share like equal screen time. And I think her decisions also move the plot forward a lot. Um, and I think she's the last person you see. Well, her yeah. and the rest in the, in the new team or the old team, the new squad up. That's like the end of that first part. But yeah, I loved, I loved all of the things on her world because all of the colors and stuff are pastel-y. I wish I had her costume. Like I want that costume for Halloween. Like the Gwen Stacy with the little teal ballet shoes that turn into the teal chuck taylor like yes live for that absolutely live for it but yeah and i also think that Haley steinfeld does such a great job voicing her character like i thought that in the first one but like especially in this one because she has so much more to do in this one she was so good like just incredible and i love the relationship between gwen and miles because it's like you kind of know something is going to happen but they don't make it like the most important thing like them getting together isn't like the most important plot point in the entire film um they just like put little breadcrumbs here and there which i like because you can either do something with that or not like maybe they'll go ahead and do it maybe they won't and i think either one people will be okay with like (laughs) maybe it's because we've seen the other version so we're like i think internally probably like you're probably like, okay, well, I know where this goes. So if it goes in a different way, I think that'd be interesting. But I just like their chemistry and that like they're the only two people who can really like understand what they're going through. I just 
think that's great. And I think that Shamik and Haley were able to record their stuff together. So I'm pretty sure that that helped in terms of like bouncing off each other and like, yeah. Because I think in this, in these settings, you're isolated most of the time yeah. doing the voice acting. So yeah, they were, you can they tell, were, I can tell it. Well, they were joking a bit online when um the, you know, how they do the press junket and they mm-hmm. were like, you know how for some reason the track record has been these like co-stars like male and lead co-stars actually exuding some kind of attraction in a way oh. and mm. and, it, and we can blame um oscar isaac <laughs> and and chastain for that you know with uh scenes of marriage uh but um they were making fun of of shamik more because in his interview they're like this man has no natural charisma <laughs> with Haley Stanfield. Uh, and so but yeah that well hey they oh. they might not have charisma in real life but when they when they get behind the scenes and they're, they're doing their characters they do they do well um but i know there's a big thing about you know representation just beyond um beyond race beyond sexuality um i can't speak on this but they all i've heard a lot of people talking about how um gwen stacy um really lives up not lives up but really um her character arc in a way resembles you know the whole um trans people coming out and um lgbtq people coming out like that whole um wrestling with that i've never experienced that so i can't speak on it um but if people interpret the character in that experience um that's amazing i think everybody beyond race should be included but for me the part that sticks out for me the most is usually when you see new york depicted in film it's just you know williamsburg greenwich you get the really white side and i guess that was also part of the backlash because even the creators of um the movie the directors of the movie spoke on this where in um regards to miles even when he debuted in the comic books there were a lot of voices predominantly white fans who were instantly like oh that's not spider-man just because he was black and they even said themselves this movie and you know miguel's you know thought of him being a uh uh, anomaly him not really deserving to be spider-man was uh th- as was directing to the audience like this is what the audience this is what most comic book fans of a certain race view miles and i really love these close elements in it because it shows because you have hobie spider-punk black you have you know spider bite the little uh, girl who's kind of a digital she's black you have spider woman who's black and i love how in the movie you see hobie um knowing what's going to happen to miles goes out of his way to prepare miles in a way like hey man use your powers this way to escape you know he gives gwen the device because he's not fucking with miguel's whole thing you know he has spider bite where he's um miguel's trying to escape you know she looks and he looks at her and she goes i got you you know kind of lets him escape and then on the contrast you have spider woman who i think everybody has dealt with a person um, that's kind of like Spider-Woman, who is a, a fellow minority, but is so interested, entrenched within the system and the way things work, they cannot inherently see the flaws in it. And I love the fact that at the end of the movie, where she's, 
you know, watching Gwen interact with um Miles' parents and all that stuff, spying on Gwen, and she she sees Gwen leave, you kind of see in her face that maybe the direction we're taking is not right. And that just shows you right there. I, I love that the creators have that in mind. That goes on to show that black people inherently are not a monolith. We both, you know, wrestle back and forth amongst our own community on what's right, what's wrong. And I love that, that they showcase that a lot. Yeah. It, well, first of all, I didn't know that Miles Morales is based off of, um, what's it called? Josh Gambino. Yeah. Donald, Donald Glover. Glover. Yeah. Like, the, so the backstory is that idea came up, dude. He's, it's weird. It's the influx of two prominent black men around the same period. Is like, it was, I think that around the time was of Barack Obama's first election, like our 08 ish, 07 ish. And then also during Community, where, you know, they're talking about rebooting Spider Man after Tobey Maguire. This is when they were doing um, Andrew Garfield's Spider Man stuff. And he even makes a joke about it on his special where somebody was like, Donald Glover should be Spider Man. He's nerdy. And it kind of progressed there. And then he shows up on Community with Spider Man shirt. And then, you know, it, it the ball gets rolling from that point on. Yeah. Uh which is interesting because I didn't know that Miles Morales was such a new addition to this group. But um, yeah, and then Donald Glover makes an appearance in this movie. But he was also in the first Spider-Man movie, Spider-Man Homecoming. So that's cool. Um, in terms of the actual plot, uh, the plot really, it's in, the big issue is centered around the multiverse and that every single um, Spider-Man has to go through an Uncle Ben type of situation where they lose someone that they love in order to become the superhero that they were always meant to be. And um, Spider-Man 20, oh God, am I gonna get it right? 2099? Yeah. All right, yeah, him. Um, Miguel. He is basically in charge of all of it. And what his thing is, is like, well, if one little thing gets messed up, then the whole entire um, multiverse is at stake. And, the, you know, I think the spider that bit Miles was from a different universe and he was never really supposed to be it, but then he ended up being it. And that was what in the MCU was called a branch event. But I don't know. It's basically the same thing. Yeah. I think that <laughs> I think that this does the multiverse the best just because when you go to different universes, it looks different. Um, one of my favorite parts of the film is Spider-Punk, played by Daniel Kluwa. Mm-hmm. Um, he never misses, always does a great job. And the animation, like how he's designed is so cool. And the fact that it always changes is really cool too. Like, because he, the character is a rebel, like, and the fact that it's a black character representing the punk movement, which usually is looked at as just kind of purely white. I thought that was, amazing but daniel Kaluuya was saying like punk is really like an attitude but it and it's also like a lifestyle like it's anti-establishment it's not doing what everyone else is doing and it's and you know that's like that's also black life so i thought that was just really smart just a great idea and so well executed um but also in spider-man spider-man who's india oh he's again 
when they go there, that world looks completely different and the culture is different. And I just really loved how every single universe looked really specific to the characters that they were depicting. And yeah, that was just, that was just like a really good way to go about that um, and to do the multiverse. But in terms of the actual plot, the question is, is like, okay, Miles says, look, you can have your cake and eat it too, right? And mm. Miguel says, no, you have to sacrifice something in order to, you know, fulfill your destiny, fulfill your purpose. And I guess that's the question that they're leaving the audience with, like, okay, how do we feel about this? And I, at first I kind of felt like, I don't know, at first I felt like, well, if something doesn't go according to the canon, it's going to be fine because Gwen Stacy's dad leaves his, leaves the force and everything's fine in her world. So like, it's okay if things change, like you don't like whatever's supposed to happen doesn't need to happen and things will still be okay. So like if Miles chooses to save his parents or his dad, like will things change that much? Probably not. But I also agree that like, you can't, I don't think you can have your cake and eat it too, just in life. But um, I also think, and this is a point that the directors brought up, you don't need to suffer trauma in order to like find purpose. Yeah. So yeah, I'm kind of on the fence about like how I feel about the, the, the messaging of like what is like the right thing to do. But I do think that like, yeah, if I had the ability to save my dad from like not dying, I'm going to choose that. Like <laughs> I understand that like, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few but like and when you lose your few you still have to live with that for the rest of the time that you're operating as spider-man and i don't know if that's the right approach like just because things have that's how things have been done before that doesn't mean that that's how things need to happen you know in the future so that's kind of how i feel and, about that <laughs> yeah and my thing also i think that is a minor plot hole in the movie itself is become if they knew that you know miles dad is going to die he has to die and they kind of know that spot is the reason for it what was the point of sending gwen to um monitor spot and miles that means to me that within the plot they sent Gwen there on purpose to push what was ever supposed to happen forward, you know? So, I kind of want to see how that turns out within the second movie, because it seems kind of odd. Yeah, we know exactly when all these, you know, canon events happen to all these Spider-Men. And we know what causes it. But we're going to send Miles' friend, who we know is an issue, and how and they have a bond, to stop the villain who was supposed to kill his father. You know? So that's the only thing. He was supposed to not only kill the dad, but also cause this huge issue where he, the character of Spot, I think in this is supposed to actually, he wants to reverse the multiverse. So where there aren't multiple yeah. um, things, like he doesn't want it at all because I think that's what created him in the first place. So I think that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to like not have the multiverse at all and as the protector of the multiverse, Miguel has issues with that. So do I think sending Gwen Stacy was smart? No, because like, 
obviously we know that these two have a connection and she's gonna go see him. Like, I don't know why they were upset at her when she did that. It's like, come on now. Um, I think they could have sent somebody else to go do it, but you know, <laughs> they had, the characters had to meet yeah, you know, because they are important together. So, like, I understand in terms of like, this is a movie still. Like, we still have to get our favorite yeah. characters together. <laughs> I think that's more what that was. Yeah, I know. That's I'm just nitpicking at the logical side kicks yeah. in and wonders why. But yeah, but um, and I I do like it's it's weird like how the movie what's the word I'm looking for um where you're talking about suffering you have to suffer loss in order to be the the, the special one and I think that's also a callback to the first movie in a way because the Peter you were presented to in Miles Universe before he dies is perfect nothing goes wrong and I feel like having both all this happen where nothing is perfect like you have to fail something has to happen as long as and, and as well as having both uh the second peter b parker in this movie and the first movie as miles mentor shows that it's in, like those are impossible standards to reach you know being perfect all the time you're going to fail and i feel like um spider-man india is a perfect illustration of that because they say he's only a Spider-Man for six months. And it's like, oh, this job is easy. He's never faced that that thing which, you know, makes him prioritize things properly. You know, he still thinks when he's saving his girlfriend off the bus, he's like, oh, I can save her and her father at the same time. And they're kind of saying, no, you can't. It's what do you do? Like, it's kind of one of those... Sorry to quote Star Trek. It's one of those... um the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few kind of moral quandaries that miles and all these characters face as spider-man if i save my father and i save you know whatever keep police captain i'm supposed to be aligned with how many other lives you know are lost with it it's kind of like that kind of logical thread is kind of the issue people have with batman as a hero you know stop joker permanently but no, you will just arrest Joker. He breaks out, kills out a hundred people, like repeatedly. So, are you really doing your job effectively as a hero, because you're prioritizing the life of this one villain over all the citizens he continually harms? Is that kind of moral thing? Yeah, and I feel like hmm, I feel like you have to deal with challenges in life because that's the only way that you grow. Like, you don't mm-hmm. grow comfortably. Like, that's not how that works. No. You have to suffer a little bit in order to kind of find out what you're made of, find out what you're able to, like, deal with, build that resilience inside of you. And you can't do that if everything works out. So, yeah, there <laughs> does Miguel sort of have a point? A little bit, kind of. I just don't think that something as traumatic as losing a parent when you know that you can save them shouldn't is, be a thing i don't i don't think it's on the same level as just going through the daily struggles of life like that's not like the great power comes great responsibility that's like a whole lesson that you can continue to learn as you develop into spider-man but losing your dad like when you know that you can save him i don't think it's on the same level and or should be looked at 
same way. And 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 you bring that up perfectly. The the logic of Spider Man, that whole quote of with great power comes great responsibility. I have this power and I can save my dad. You know, hmm. I can save I can save lives. I'm how is that not with great power comes great responsibility? You know? And I, I so and that's and that's the thing. And I and you made another point where um those story miles. I think this this experience is a lot of the things that every young person goes through because you kind of feel indestructible. You can do anything. Like life is perfect. Like so, I know you don't go on Twitter or whatever, but the the thing on social media usually is when people of a certain age range, you know, say stuff like, "Oh, I'm 20 years old. I thought life was gonna be like this," and then you have everybody 25 to 30 like laughing at this poor child because you've not you've not ready to face and comprehend how difficult the real world is and it's not until you experience those things on a personal level do you ever actually understand what people are telling you yeah that's so true um and so yeah i feel like there are lessons that he's gonna learn eventually like i like the pairing of peter b parker with miles because this is a character who's had a lot more experience doing the job who's had to actually really sacrifice things lost things lost people being in this role um and miles is like a fresh newborn baby just experiencing all of it for the first time um he's a little bit short up a little bit more now because it's been a year since he started but he still doesn't really know how to like balance it all. And so I think the naive outlook is like, well, I can figure everything out. But I think these more experienced people are telling him, no, actually, like there is <laughs> there is a real like cost to wearing the mask. Yeah. So I think it's a, again a great story arc. About it, it played out well. I think I can't wait to see how it turns or how it continues in part two. Speaking of part two, I have no idea what's gonna happen in that because like, I guess at the end he meets like a dark version of himself, but, but Prowler or something he, like he that. Make, he meets ASAP Miles, that's what I've called him. He's, he's got okay. the ASAP Rocky Bray. <laughs> so, but yeah, okay. no, I, I feel yeah. like it's gonna be one of those like you know when you have like those mental battles with yourself it's gonna be that kind of thing almost akin to um creed 3 um but i do i don't know because now the audience knows that miles was that prowler miles was initially supposed to be spider-man i don't know how the reaction to to that goes um if it becomes good it comes bad i'm I'm interested in what they they do with it. Um, I'm also very interested in what they can they'll continue to do with um, um, Park uh, Peter B the 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 Spider Man who has his kid because to mm-hmm. me he's he's like the biggest depiction of all of these Spider Man from what we've seen from the first movie of hat facing constant failures and still putting on the suit. And him saying, I've had, I had, me and MJ had this baby because of you. I felt that through you, no matter what, I could probably do this as a, as a, as a parent and do good at it because of interacting with you. So I want to see what does his character arc continue from, from that. 
being the embodiment of a Spider-Man who's constantly been facing failure, but still continues, you know, to put on the suit and save lives. Yeah. I can't wait to see more of him because we didn't get to see like a whole bunch of him in this. Yeah. But I did like him in the baby. That was yeah. fun. Um, and the spot is an interesting villain. I, I like what they kind of do with him. Like they kind of made him not like super evil, but just like a guy who through circumstance ended up in situation and then found that he had a lot of power and just started to misuse it. Yeah. Which is a better entryway into villain than just being like, I am going to rule the world. Like um, I liked that a little bit more. Um, and I'm interested to see what he ends up doing. Yeah. Because he's not, he is the big bad in terms of like, I guess Thanos version or like the looming threat. But then they tried to like insert other issues in here. So I'm like, he is the threat, but we were also focused on like Oscar Isaac's character and all the other stuff that was going on on that world. So it was like, okay. But I guess in part two, we're going to see a lot more of him, of, I'm calling him Dark Miles, ASAP Miles, <laughs> whatever, however you want to phrase it, um, and see what that ends up being. But yeah, I'm excited. People were, from what I've heard, people were not happy with the ending because they didn't feel like it was... I don't know the ending that they wanted because it wasn't a, like it wasn't wrapped up mm-hmm. because it's part one of two, but I guess they didn't either. They didn't realize it or they, they realized it and just was like, I don't like it. I'm, I mean, when I first saw it, like I think a day after the movie came out, they already tweeted like, yeah, we're making a third spider, you know, Malorella, Sp- Spider-Verse, I was like, okay, it's a sequel. So the movie's going to end in con- some kind of weird shenanigan way, and the movie ended in some kind of weird shenanigan way. So I wasn't really caught off about it, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, I knew it was part one or two going into it, because at a certain point, I was like, if we're supposed to be reaching to the conclusion of this like we are nowhere close and then i was like oh yeah this is part one of two this isn't like (laughs) this isn't like the full version of it and i again i still think what i said at the beginning is that it was really good for part one is it gonna feel as complete no because the story isn't done yet but i think it's great setup i think the stakes are very clear of like what's what's at risk so like I'm down. I'm invested. Can't wait to see it. Can't wait to see the second one because I'm here. My my only thing is I wonder if it's like okay. So this is beyond everything with the movie. It's kind of a nitpick or a curiosity. I'm wondering if there was a mistake somewhere within writing this movie because they never named. They never announced on um, miles's father his last name until this movie like when he talks to gwen he's like oh i'm jefferson morales you know but in the first movie we've always known that his uncle was aaron davis right and they're brothers and so mm. i'm wondering if that's a, a mistake because i know in the comics as well they're dad is also Jefferson Davis. His dad is also Aaron Davis. His mom is Rio Morales. He has his mom's name. So I'm wondering what happened there, like as far as writing, because 
your father, father and nephew are both named Morales, but you're the you're the brother. You're named. You have a totally different last name. So I don't know. I was wondering if there was a little mistake within the writing process that nobody picked up. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, no, that's just um, me. That's just me yeah. being curious. Um, although side note with the ending, I I assumed. For some reason, that that was uh, I don't want to pronounce his name wrong. So his combined last name, Mr. Moore, speaking both parts. And I saw the credits, and they were like, "Oh, Jerrell Jerome is in the movie." I was like, "Where's Jerrell Jerome?" And it was not until after that I saw that Jerrell Jerome is actually voicing that evil Miles, which oh, cool. yeah, so. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. I love all the little people who I didn't know were voicing characters, and I looked up the cast later, and I was like, "Oh, Andy Samberg was on there. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, that's yeah. I liked Metro Boomin, who did the um, music, also had a cameo in. <laughs> yeah, the old Spider Man who's like hanging upside down, saying, "You ain't got nowhere to <laughs> yeah. go." Yeah, 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 yeah. Speaking of Metro Boomin, oh my god, the music was everything. Like. Yeah. <laughs> I have been listening to Hummingbird, which is like Metro Boomin and James Blake. That song is so good. It's the song that he's listening to when Gwen comes through um, the portal. Yeah. Ah, lived. And although there's not there's not the moment, and I understand like, because there's some certain people who are like, no, the first one is better. And some people are like, this, the second one is good, but it's not as good as the first one. Blah, blah, blah. But, and I will agree, like there's not the what's up danger moment in mm-hmm. this. Like, that whole sequence was like on another level. Like I, I completely get why people might not feel like this doesn't level up to that because that moment isn't in this one. But the music was still phenomenal. And so was the score. And also in terms of like having a great moment, I think that moment when they're like on the train sequence and like all the spider people are trying to fight him and Spider-Man 2099 is like, clawing his way up to him and he says you know like everyone's trying to tell me what my story is now nah, i'm gonna do my own thing like i loved it i wanted to cheer but you know i was in a theater it was like 11 something in the morning so i did it but i loved that moment that resonated with me i know it didn't have the same effect but it gave me the same feeling so <laughs> whatever Look, I look like that end credits with that, um, with ASAP Rocky, with I'm Dreaming, mm. that song, that song gave me like very much, um, uh, Black Panther vibes, mm. that song I, I, I like, and I think in this use, this soundtrack is not as, you know, attention grabbing as the first one was. I think the first soundtrack really fit hit the character arc itself mm-hmm. in a way. And and it's like the really it's music inspired by. But they use those songs that artists made in the movie a lot more compared to this one. So and I think that's why mm-hmm. you don't people don't really have the res the resonance to it except for like Hummingbird and I'm Dreaming. So Yeah. And I don't think people like I Am um, Hummingbird. Like, when yeah. you look on iTunes and you have the little stars next to, like, the most listened to or loved song, it's not on there. But I feel like the songs that don't have the little stars are sometimes the ones that hit the best. People are just sleeping on it anyway. Yeah. 
Antigua. Um, yes. So, uh, what else am I going to say about this movie? I don't know. Um, other than I just loved it. It's just so good. And I cannot wait for the second one. Yeah, yeah, same. I can't, I can't wait for it. I'm, I'm, I'm ready for it. You know, I, I did, you know, I did a rewatch after I watched the first one. So yeah, I can't like wait a year. I'm good. Um, but yeah, it's, it's funny. This movie left me with a lot more anticipation than the other Spider-Man movies it was. And I think someone hit the nail on the head. I think it was like James Gunn with this. It's not that people are tired of comic movies is they're tired of boring ones you know yeah. i can say that myself mm-hmm. truly because i got i was like really like yeah i'm done with this because all the movies have become the same but this movie shows when you put like all that effort like beyond the surface level stuff at like across the board the movie's beautiful story you know we're talking about how the use of color palettes and how each role is reflective of the characters and how everybody interacts and bends and flows so engaging when you do those things that makes people more invigorated and inspired to see what else you're going to do yeah they continually push boundaries and with the interviews that i saw it's like they had a lot of fun making it yeah um so i think again when when you take your time and you are really invested in the world it comes out well which is something that i think is the that to me seems like the real issue of like what's going on in DC and Marvel. It's like you're not investing enough time in letting things percolate, like actually like going through ideas, scrapping them, starting again, like really working with everyone, creating things from the ground up, like pushing boundaries, like the what they did in terms of the animation, like literally, I don't think before. Well, I think they did. They had one before that's um, in terms of like animation style. I think that happened a couple, like a couple of years ago, but like right before this kind of reinvented things. But still, like they like they're reinventing styles. Like you have animation characters mixing with like live action people, and it doesn't look gross. Like I mean, and then you watch a Marvel movie with like hundreds of million dollars in budget and they can't even get the CGI and visual effects correct. Like it's just crazy. So I feel like the investment of time is the biggest component into like making the stuff good. Like if you just took your time, it might be better. Yeah. You know, if it wasn't, you know what I'm saying? It's such a simple idea, but it feels like something that these entities are so incapable or unwilling to do which is incredibly frustrating. So I'm just glad this movie exists. Like, I'm glad there are things and people and stories that are actually trying to push boundaries and reinvent things and do things that are new and cool and groundbreaking. Like, that's why people care. Like, that's why people are like, going back to the theaters. <laughs> it's, it's for this, yeah. you know? So, anyway. yeah. So it's kind of the box office portion of it. So I'm still gonna, you know, keep a little bit of, you know, Spider-Man in it. Um, so the big uh news is that of course, um uh across the universe, you know, just in the past, box up front of twelve days, um has already surpassed almost the four hundred um million mark. Uh meaning basically meaning that it's taken um 
that first Spider-Man, Spider-Man, uh, in that first Spider-Verse film, is taking the entirety of his box office run in about two weeks. Um, which is which is no big feat. Um, I think they're aiming for the hot the one the the one the next step I think they're aiming for is passing Amazing Spider-Man two. Even though that's kind of like the ugly stepchild of the Spider-Man movies, it did make almost close to a billion dollars. It made seven hundred um point nine million globally, and of course Spider-Man No Way Home made it um almost two billion worldwide. So they're they're getting there they'll probably reach those numbers um but they're also saying though and this is overall box office numbers um of course you know transformers rise of the beast just came out this weekend um and of course there's the one box off moving the box office and they've for some reason already announced in like four weeks it's going to be on digital platforms which is crazy when you already have the number one movie out in the country um but the issue is, I know we spoke about Little Mermaid, we spoke about Disney's current track record, of, especially the Disney-Marvel contingent, those two pictures, how their second weeks have continually dropped off. Um, with Across the Spider-Verse, um, they had a almost 54% de- decrease in their gross in the two weeks. Um you know, po- with um Transformers: Rise of Beast coming out, and it only sh- and they only added about two more, nineteen more theaters. So they're a bit concerned about that, but they're not. They don't think it's going to be that drastic of a drop off. Um, of course, you know, Little Mermaid. Um, it's been continual week to week. Like the week after its opening week, the second week, you they had a forty percent drop off, and this week now, Little Mermaid from that week, um, has a forty four percent drop off. So. Like I said, Disney is going to have to figure out what they're going to do to make sure the long-term relevancy of their movies in the within a four-week window of their box office um, stays up. Um, but, of course, box office for the weekend, Transformers was number one. Uh, Cross the Spider-Verse was number two. Little Mermaid at three. Guardians of the Galaxy holding steady um, after like being in the theater for like six weeks um, is in fourth. Um... And then, of course, Boogeyman horror, uh, horror film from Disney um, is at five. Fast X um, in four weeks in the theater is now at six. Super Mario Brothers, of course, a billion-dollar franchise or movie that this was, was in been playing in theaters for ten weeks. It's now at seven. Um, About My Father, um, it's a Lionsgate picture. That's eight. The Machines in nine and Past Lives in twelve. Um, Past Lives, the eight twenty-four movie. Um, not just that, but they also have another one called Hurt My Feelings. Those movies are, I guess, just entering a box office run. We'll see. Uh, Past Live basically debuted last week, but now it's increasing in its um in theaters. So we'll see how much it jumps from there. Because, you know, on this podcast, we're big fans of A24 movies. So we'll see. Moving to the news... Um, The Flash's Michael Shannon likens multiverse movies to playing with action figures. Uh, He basically (laughs) says that being in The Flash wasn't as satisfying as he thought it would be or he would have hoped, but that he still likes the movie. So basically he is um, returning as Zod, who, if you remember, in Man of Steel died. So... 
is this a multiverse thing again? I don't even know. No, this is just the Flash going back in time. Okay, whatever. So yeah, um, basically he was saying like, based in Man of Steel, he had more to do. And in this, the Flash movie, he's just kind of there as an adversary. So he didn't have as much fun with it. Um, but yeah, his stance on like doing these big action movies and stuff is that he's like, you know, if it's good, it's good. Like, I'll do it. So I think in his opinion, Man of Steel was really good. So he took the role. He enjoyed the role. He enjoyed doing it. Um, and not that, again, he said that he liked doing The Flash, but that it it didn't, I guess it wasn't giving what he was hoping it was going to give. <laughs> um and yeah, and it's just funny to me because it's like, I don't know, doing any of these movies, do I don't know what actors are really expect. Like Elizabeth Olsen also gave an interview where she was like, she she wouldn't play the character of Wanda again. Like <laughs> she was like, if they call, if they never call me back, I won't, I'll be perfectly fine with that. Like I'm not, I don't feel like I need to go back and do that. Like I've done, I've done it for 10 years. I'm done. I want to do some other stuff. I don't want to be just known as like the Marvel lady. Yeah. Which I feel like, I mean, it's interesting. Cause like my idea is that when you're a young actor and you get cast in one of these huge movies, it is like a humongous deal for you. But then you want to run away from it as fast as you can. And I don't know if that's because of the reputation these kind of movies have, or um, maybe because people in in the industry pigeonhole actors and say, well, you're only good to do these type of movies and you can't do anything else. I'm not really sure what it is. It might be a combination of both things, but it is interesting. Like when you sign on to, to do one of these movies, like Michael Shannon has, it's like, I don't know what you are expecting the experience to be like, considering that, yeah, your your character is only back because it's an adversarial role that the Flash has to overcome. Like, you're not getting a full fleshed out story. Like, you already did that in Man of Steel. So why do it again in this? Like, and obviously there's other th- obstacles that the Flash has to overcome, I'm assuming, in this movie. So... I don't really know what he expected, truthfully, but um, it was interesting to be like, well, I don't know. Also, I thought that Man of Steel was a good movie. Maybe that's an unpopular opinion, but I actually liked it. And I, I liked it better too. than Batman <laughs> Superman, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I understand his viewpoint because I was like the Flash. I, a, the fact that I got like before two months, two months, whatever, before the movie came out, I got like four or five emails to, hey, do you want screening ticket or tickets to it? And I was like, eh. And the fact that I'm getting all these emails is not good. That means, you know, they're not expecting the movie to perform, but they can f- do fake box office numbers by saying X amount of people saw this movie, blah, 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 blah. Um... I do agree with Michael Shannon this way, um, because I think the Flash movie in itself does not know what it wants to do or be, because now he goes back to, you know, Tim Burton verse, and all of a sudden, hey, Kara's like, 
took the main Superman all of a sudden. It's it seems like really like they just said, "Hey, we're gonna put Michael Keaton in this movie somehow." You know, the movie itself, the plotting of it does doesn't really make sense to me. It seems like they were just trying to qu- quickly shoehorn a way to fix all their fuck ups, and and it's also bad that when the press tour for a movie is going out after they spent the past year and a half trying this international manhunt for Ezra Miller, not being able to find him, and then saying, yeah, we're going to steal the movie anyway, when on the press tour, the person leading the press tour is Supergirl. That actress is the one predominantly featured in the press tour. So those that combination of things, I did not expect this movie to do good. And the overall press reaction since the press embargo has been lifted is not a good one. Um, so yeah, uh, James Gunn has a lot of work to do with salvaging these fuck ups over there. So yeah. Um. So of course it's Tony Awards weekend or week ish. Um, and the first non-binary um. They awarded openly non-binary performers for the first time last night. Um, Some Lucky Hot, Jay Harrison Gee, and Shucks, um, Alex Newell became the first binary performers to win awards um, in New York this weekend. Um, Which I've I've heard, I didn't know, uh, Alex Newell was was non-binary. I think uh, they were on Glee at one point. Mm. Yeah, and I've sing wonderfully like one of the best singers i've ever heard in a while um but yeah, it's it's you would think it's it's weird it being broadway and how broadway and the arts have always been we've like creatives has always been more welcoming to those ideas and lifestyles and it's the first time that non non-binary people um have won um um alex um they their self went on to say thank you for seeing me broadway i should not be here as a queer, non-binary, fat, black little baby from Massachusetts. Um, if anyone thinks they can't do it, I'm looking you in your face, tell you anything you can put your mind to, you can do. And that's amazing, because across the board, I think Alex's story resonates with a lot of people, like like I said before, black, queer, you know, big people, non-binary, so many people can relate to that experience. And I know the same thing with, um, um, sorry, Harrison, they're like their mother um, raised them to understand the gifts gods they gave them were not about me. They had to share those gifts and be effective in the world. So I do think this is this is an amazing thing, but I all feel like on the Tonys and Independent Spirit and Gotham Wars, all these theater-esque awards, that it's long overdue, you know? Yeah. Um... It's, I think that it's interesting that it is kind of just not happening. I'm wondering if that is because more non-binary people are able to get roles in these their companies and have yeah. been able to perform. Um, maybe that's the reason why it hasn't happened yet. But I'm glad that they are being recognized in this way. And... In terms of like the Tonys, the Emmys, the Oscars, Gold Globes, like these bigger awards, um, one thing that the article was saying was that 
in awards, on, in certain awards, like the Independent Spirit Awards and the Gotham Awards, where they have changed the category name. So it's not um, Best Actress or Best Actor, it's Best Performer. And that these bigger awards still have not made that transition to include everyone in it. I think one of um, the actors um, who were nominated or who won, um, it wasn't last night, was it? Yeah. It might have been last night. Yeah, it was. It was Sunday night. Yeah. Yeah, who said, like, there is a a fine term to kind of incorporate everyone. But it would be nice to see that switch because I still think that it does isolate people who are non binary. Like, I just feel like at this point, it shouldn't be that big of a deal to change it. So I hope they get on the train of that. Um, And congratulations to the winners um it's really exciting to see like who wins the tonys and stuff because i wish i can go to the theater more i haven't been to the theater in years and all these plays look really cool so yeah yeah wish i was there um in other news um marvel has to probably do something um because of course over the weekend um uh Tino Shorta, who plays Namor, he's also been in Narcos, um, was accused of um, sexual assault against musician and activist Maria Elena Reyes um, this past Saturday. Um, and that's kind of all that's been um, announced by so far. Of course, um, Maria um, Reyes herself um, she's also victim of a previous abusive relationship, so this is kind of um, really serious. Um, but this ass, so this in the last couple of years of Marvel hiring actors with kind of shady um, issues. Um, and it's, it's, I don't know how they will address those topics and issues. Um, going forward, not just for, of course, um, Jonathan Majors, but of course, um, um, Tinashe Herta as well. Yeah, of course he came out with a statement being like, this isn't true. Which, I don't know, I don't think anyone who's ever been accused of any of these allegations has ever been like, you know what, it's kind of true. Like, I have never heard that statement before. Would be wild to see the day. But, um, yeah, I feel like I don't know. Namor is, I don't know how big of a part he's going to play in the overall MCU. I don't think that um, it's not something that can be kind of worked around Um, in terms of like how they plan to go forward. Jonathan Majors is a a bigger issue just because he's in more stuff. Um, So trying to work around that, I can imagine it'd be incredibly difficult for the people over at Marvel. Um, but for this, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know, if you're planning to have, again, I feel like I said this before, but I'll say it again. I feel like if you're planning to hire someone who's going to have a multi-picture deal, you go through some, like, serious vetting. Like, yeah, I, doesn't that make the most sense? So, like, you're not blindsided by this stuff when it pops up. Like, you can deal with it. Don't hire this person. Hire somebody else. Like, and again, I guess it also depends on, like, if victims aren't speaking at like the time of casting, they're not going to know, which is fair. 
but I would have, I feel like you need to be doing some more research if you're going to hire people who are going to be in your universe for multiple years. Um, that to me just seems like the smart idea. Like, I think Josh Brolin had some stuff. I think yeah. Jeremy Renner had some stuff. Um, but it was, most... it was in a time where, you know, people weren't like, nobody, first of all, I don't think there was Twitter back then. So nobody was jumping on Twitter to talk about these things. But I think the culture was different in terms of like, which is not good. I'm, I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying the culture was you just protect men. And if they made mistakes and they apologize, you just continue on. But we don't live in that culture anymore. So I think you have to adjust how you approach casting. That's just, th- that would be my advice to them, but they're not taking my advice. So whatever. <laughs> I think um, I forgot his name. Um, the previous actor who passed away, who played uh, Thaddeus Ross, he had some of those issues in the past as well. Um, mm. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, but, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so what did we watch this week? What did you watch this week? Um, I kind of haven't had a chance to watch much TV. Um, beyond, of course... NBA Finals, praying my heat pull it through tonight as we record. Um, but uh, it's supposed to have been a busy week. I've uh, been working with clients, so I haven't really seen anything beyond, you know, into the Spider-Verse. So I, I apologize. Yeah. Why are you apologizing? I'm just apologizing. I can't apologize, you know? No, not okay. for no reason. Okay. <laughs> I take back my apology. Yeah. Um... That's cool. I have finally watched Avatar The Way of Water. Um, and I watched it in the way that I wanted to, which is at home in the comfort of my own bed. <laughs> so I'm fine to wait if that's... Again, this movie was th- over three hours long. Like, no. But it is really good. See, the thing is, like, when you see some, certain movies and stuff and you hear the hype about it, a part of you doesn't want to believe it anymore, right? You don't, you don't want to think that it's as good as people are making it out to seem. But this movie was incredible. Like, I'm, like it just was. Like, it really was good. Like, I can't even... I can't even hate on it. Like, I really can't. Like, it deserves the box office. It absolutely deserves the Oscar nominations. Like, it just did because it was so good. And I remember when I saw Avatar the first time, I went to the movie theater and I saw that like multiple times because I thought it was incredible. Like I've never seen anything. Well, most of us had never seen anything like that before. But this movie, like, it was so good. And the story is really simple. It's like a dad just trying to protect his family. But what they're able to accomplish (laughs) just technically I don't know. Like, I don't know how you do it because I was watching the behind the scenes footage of it and they're just like in little gray onesies with dots all over their face running around like an empty warehouse. And yet <laughs> when you watch the movie, it's like, how were you evil, even able to like mentally visualize what you were doing as an actor? Like, I think they have basically like the background of like what the world's gonna look like on computer screens so the actors can like look at what they're doing and like their relation to other to to other people to other whatever 
but still, like when you watch the movie, you couldn't even imagine that it's just people running around a warehouse because that's literally what it was. I have no idea how they're how they were able to do it. Like, like I tried to find more information and end up with more questions. I was just like, how 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 do you manage? I don't know how they were able to do some of the stuff. The stunt people, incredible on another level. Like they were the ones who were really doing like the scenes in the water. Like the actors obviously were were doing the diving and stuff like that. But in terms of like the fight sequences underwater and stuff like that, like the major stunts, all of the stunt people were doing that. And incredible again, like how like they had to fight underwater. Like how do you because you you're automatically slowed down <laughs> and they were still able to pull it off like just incredible feat of like visual te- technological advancement <laughs> like i don't even i don't have words of how great it was and the performances were really good too well some of the child actors weren't that good i'll be honest like some of them weren't that great um but in terms of all the adults <laughs> they did a phenomenal job um Sigourney Weaver plays a teenager in this and she was phenomenal like her character is the best character in the movie she was absolutely wonderful in it like Sigourney Weaver as old as she is was able to play a 13 year old girl flawlessly like ma'am she should have been nominated for something for that like that was unbelievable Uh, like just it's so good Zoe Saldana didn't have much to do. She kind of cried all the time. But Avery, even though she was crying, she was still amazing. So, like, that movie is great. Like, I'm actually glad that I watched it because, damn, like, how do you... I still I still don't know. I still cannot comprehend, like, how they were able to pull that off. James Cameron still got it. Like, I can't even be mad at him. Like... And I know that he like pulls from other cultures and he steals stuff and he's like, why do the white people have dreads? Like there are things that are going to make you mad. I'm not going to even hold you. Like, yes, it's very upsetting to see some of that stuff. But I honestly, like the, the man is gifted. Like, so I don't know. I'm sort of conflicted about the ethics of the film, but in terms of like what he was able to pull up at, yeah, hours. Like, yeah. I have mm-hmm. a question though. You mentioned Zoe Deldana's character, and it just seems like two back-to-back movies where her role is diminished. Um, particularly more so, I think. Well, this one, this Guardians of the Galaxy, was out of the original creative team's control, but with this movie, I've I've heard where she just turns into uh, a pregnant woman who kind of just cries all the time. How was that really a? Th- uh, thing that um you notice in the movie like because in the first movie she's really like a warrior princess in a way who's fighting alongside everybody else you know and then her character kind of takes a backseat to Drake Sully in this movie and everybody else she's not she is only pregnant for like a minute of the movie (laughs) yeah and she does cry a lot but also when you see the crying in the context of like what's happening it all makes sense it's not like she's just like a weeping willow like that's not what the situation is either. Yeah. Like all of the situations in which she is very emotional calls for her to be very emotional. And she does still fight very strongly in, you know, and work fiercely in this movie. 
Um, I think her role, both of the roles are being parents. Like that's their main identity is she is mama bear. She's going to make sure everybody's okay. Like that's her thing. Mm -hmm. But I think what actually is going on is that the reason why she's not as big as a part of a part in this movie, this is what I'm assuming, is because the focus is actually shifting more to the children, not to Jake and Natiri. Okay. So I think that's the reason why they're kind of slowly being phased out because it's really the kids and actually most of the movies, you're spending time with the kids, not really with the parents. So that's why they're not playing as much of a role because I think the next movie, I think, I don't know how many movies he's planning, like three or four, I'm not sure, but I know there's another one after this one and it's going to be more focused on them. So that's probably why. Okay. I was wondering, because I've, I've heard people like express the sentiment that her character being reduced, um, but of course people have piss poor media literacy, so they just didn't really associate her being a parent with other responsibilities so yeah maybe they didn't know about the other movie that was being planned maybe they didn't have the context to make the judgment but Mm -hmm. they just made the judgment anyways that's probably what happened yeah but yeah uh it's on hbo it's not hbo max anymore it's max um it's on there so you can watch it on there it's on disney plus as well but i watched it on max yeah, that's it from us. We hope you're taking care of yourselves and having a great week. Um, oh, happy Pride, by the way. Forgot to mention it last episode. Yes. Yeah. Happy Pride. You are loved. Um, and I hope you're having a great week. Make sure to check out all of our social media. Support us if you can. And we will see you guys in the next episode. Goodbye. Au revoir.